everyone, and welcome to another chapter in the epic saga of the Rumcast. My name is John Gulla. His name is Will Hookinga. And when the two of us are added together in just the right percentage amounts, we become the Rumcast Blend. The perfect we have a blend. Really, yes, a perfect blend. We have a really great feature interview lined up for you today with Mitch Wilson, the global brand ambassador for Black Tot Rum. But before we get into the details of all that, let us first check in with my Nashville compatriot, Will. How are things for you this fine February? They're good. And actually, it's like 60 degrees here in Nashville today. So it's, it's, nice. a, rare, it's a rare winter day where like my weather is probably about as good as yours down there in Miami. Or but better. It's hot I, as heck. Or better, yeah. yeah. Not humid. It's pretty, pretty good. But getting back to what you were saying about the blend, I would actually, I need to amend my statement. When I said that you and I are the perfect blend, I feel like we're a pretty good blend. But when we have a, ge- a good guest comes into the mix, that's ah, when the perfect blend happens. That's the little <laughs> that, that was needed for the perfect exactly. blend. Yes. That little, that little bit to kind of tie everything together. I think, you know, us on our own we're a little bit pungent a little bit in your face and like we need that we need that thing to come in and round everything out right yeah yeah we're we're kind of the flagship offering you know we're the main line (laughs) offering and then when you bring somebody into the mix like you said it becomes that unique special bottling blend i got it yeah (laughs) anyway to to run this metaphor into the ground as much as possible um I actually I had somewhat of a rum epiphany recently that was related Ooh. to all this conversation about blends. Okay. And one of the things that comes up in this interview with Mitch is we, we talk a little bit about how blended spirits can have sort of a perception as being not as good right. as, you know, things that come from a single distillery, that kind of thing. And I confess that that's somewhat of a view that I found myself falling into sometimes Hmm. over the years. You know, I I had some great blends, rum blends used that I used for mixing and cocktails and stuff, things like Probitas. But when it came to more expensive bottlings, when I saw stuff that was a blend, I was always a little hesitant to to reach out for it for some reason. I think it, it had something to do with like, kind of prioritizing the view the 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 vision of the distillery as opposed to whoever the blender happened to be kind of piecing things together Mm -hmm. and uh over the course of a weekend my wife samantha and i watched the entire beatles documentary get back on what Mm -hmm. is it on disney plus it's on disney plus i think it's disney yeah i don't have disney plus and i had to borrow my sister's login for that oh my god no no, you can't say that on this podcast they'll come (laughs) after you of all people to mickey mouse will find you (laughs) oh i I thought you were about to reprimand me for not having disney plus because i know you you should have it yeah yeah anyway it's an excellent documentary i'd really encourage anyone who hasn't watched it to watch it especially if a if you like music but b if you're if you're into like kind of seeing the creative process come to life. It's really fascinating. And as I was sitting there watching this documentary, I realized what more of a perfect argument could there be for the merit of the blend than the Beatles themselves? I mean, Mm. here you have... Uh, have, I see what you did there. You have four artists, all good enough to be great artists on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm giving a little bit of, you know, 
credit to Ringo there. <laughs> R- Ringo's great. He, you know, he's he's a big part of the Beatles, but probably the most replaceable if we're if we're being honest about it. Sure. But still, he he Didn't really he... held things together at times during yeah. the documentary. Wasn't but... he all the la- the last to join as well? And like they replaced another drummer with he him? was. They had a so, different yeah. drummer originally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but as I'm sitting there, I'm just I'm kind of amazed at each of these these incredible artists bringing their own unique thing to the table and yet when you see it all come together and and also when you kind of look at their careers after the band it's kind of clear that like they made something special that was only possible by bringing those four unique ingredients all great on their own but when you bring them together something special happened and i was like why why am i thinking this way about rum why can't a blend (laughs) be just as good um so i really found myself coming around on this um i I actually i i saw a uh an interesting blend in a store recently from samaroli it's Mm -hmm. a uh, there's like seven different it's 12 and a half percent equal parts of everything in the blend and there's like three really old great Demerara rums. There's some Jamaica in there. There's some Barbados. There's some Fiji, and it's. I'm drinking it right now. And I was just telling you before we got on the show, like my bottle's already halfway gone. Like I've just been. I can't put it down. It's delicious. So Mm. anyway, I'm finding myself being more accepting of the blend, more open to exploring blends, and I. This conversation with Mitch only got me even deeper into that. So. It was it was really fun to do. Obviously, we get into more than just you know the concept of blending rums. He he really educated us on a lot of navy rum history that was fascinating. It really and also was. just yeah. kind of like where they're going with the black top brand because if if you're f- familiar with kind of their their flagship offering and what they've done so far, I, I think where they're going next is even more interesting. So I'm I'm really excited to see what comes from them. Uh, same here, and uh, really, like you mentioned, a lot of fascinating facts. Some people might be familiar with the the whole Navy rum history to some degree, but there's some things that he mentions even that you know I hadn't heard before that I was like, oh, that's super interesting and and fun to think about, especially as you're thinking in terms of how blends came about, what some of the differences in history with blends and how they've evolved, and all of that is really great. I have to say, like uh, uh, unlike you, I think Will, I I had already had an appreciation for brands coming into rum um i don't know if that has to deal with a little bit of scotch specifically with and and i think mitch mentions this a little bit about single malts versus blends and scotch but there's a a scotch called compass box that is a high yeah a really well respected blend and i had a chance to try that a few years ago and i was like the very attractive bottles and boxes and things which i know you you know me you know me yes (laughs) yeah so i think it's a great conversation um you know what? I was going to say, before we get to that, because I want to move into that and let everybody hear it, I, I want to, to do one thing first. Okay. Will, I want, to, I want you to name one thing you hate so much that you feel confident tons of other people also despise it as much as you. doesn't need to be rum-related. It can be if you want. Think of it like a game show family feud style. What are you going to answer? What is something that hate, people just hate? Um... So my family feud answer would be like going to the DMV, right? That's like the <laughs> obvious, like generic thing everyone hates, right? Yes, we could even make that rum related and say going to a liquor store that has nothing uh, of good <laughs> rum in it. <laughs> that might be just as bad. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. I, I think that's up there. I think I got you beat, though. I okay. think I think the thing that I hate so much after this week is forced Windows OS updates. 
<laughs> okay, well, the uh, reason I don't hate that is because, like any you know rational sane person, I've used a Mac for like the last fifteen years. So. Oh well, good for you, in the words of <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo. Um, but somehow, after we interviewed Mitch, I went to go walk my dog, came back, and promptly forgot to save my audio file. Mm. So when I woke up the next morning, uh, I see that my computer has decided to reboot. And all of a sudden, I, I got that feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, oh, no. You ruined I, the interview. I, well, I, so, here's <laughs> the, so the good news is, the way we do it, we have a backup securely in place, thankfully, right? The bad news is that, you know, the quality for my portion during the interview will be slightly less than maybe we usually provide. You might hear a few of those Zoom hiccups here and there for me. Mm. But uh, <laughs> exactly. That's the Zoom noise it makes. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that before we got into the interview in case, you know, our, our, our many of our listeners may be uh, well acquainted with the quality that we usually have on this, this program, Will. So right. I wanted to make sure that uh, people uh, understood that. But with, with that now firmly in place and the disclaimer had, we uh, had a great interview and we... Uh, Hope that you enjoy it as much as we did. With yeah, and and I'll just quickly just to give people a little bit of background, just in case they're not familiar with Black Tot. Um, this is basically a company that Sukender Singh uh, from the Whiskey Exchange started, and it started with a release called Last Consignment, which was literally a blend of actual the remnants of the original Navy rum blend that the British Navy actually used. So. Uh, Sukinder got his hands on some flagons that were, you know, bottled from a couple of different periods in British naval rum history. They blended it. They released it as last consignment. This is like a super, uh, yeah. you know, premium. It's like a thousand dollars a bottle, basically. And obviously, that's a finite blend, finite number of bottles. Mm-hmm. So they subsequent releases have been kind of like reimagined blends. And like I said, they're doing some really cool stuff with some of the most recent blends that um, in in some ways is incorporating, you know, concepts um, as kind of an homage to how uh, Navy rum was was made, while also like not trying to be a recreation. So I really enjoyed getting into like hearing about their philosophy of how they're approaching that. And yeah, I'm excited for people to hear it. So let's let's go over to the interview. Mitch Wilson, Global Brand Ambassador for Black Tot Rum. And Mitch, I have to say, I'll start us off by saying I recall you joining one of our Florida Rum Society virtual happy hours one night, and uh, you were listening in while at the same time on your video, I noticed you were working and organizing and packing up what appeared to be many tons of samples of rum or something along those lines. And I caught myself thinking, watching you, it's got to be like, two or three a.m. there and this guy is here busting his ass doing all of this stuff and then i was thinking along those lines i i 
I think when people probably think about you being a global brand ambassador, they probably think about the travel and the interviews and the presentations and all the cool and glamorous stuff. But then there's this other side to it. So I figured we'd start off by asking, what are, what are some of the portions of the job that maybe most people aren't aware? And then uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff that goes into your role there. Oh man, John, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I've, I, for years, I've thought it would be great to start up uh, like an Instagram account, like the, the, the glamorous life of a brand ambassador <laughs> and show the actual behind the scenes of what goes on. Because, uh, you know, the stuff that you see these people post uh, across all the industry, the ambassadors, the, everyone who goes out and about and the exotic, like people only post the good stuff, right? right and right. The stuff behind the scenes is always so much funnier and so much more entertaining. And, you know, the number of times I've turned up at a place and been like, ah, this is like a three-star hostel, not hotel. (laughs) I missed that letter when when I was making the reservation, (laughs) that S. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Right. Okay. Also, how, right. Okay. Cool. So I guess we're all sharing rum in the room tonight. (laughs) Welcome. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens uh, unexpectedly from country to country, all, all different types of things. Um, but yeah, the the last couple of years, especially, I think, has really taken out any any last shreds of glamour that were in the brand ambassador position have really truly been torn out the last two years because every exotic location I've been to for the last. 24 months has been on zoom yeah you know virtual backgrounds have been as fun as it's got well and yet you really have been successful doing that too i know the engagements i've been a part of with you on it really were, were well done and so it seems like you've adjusted into that too i well i i, th- I think you had to in a yeah. way you know it's a real uh, i think we were lucky in a, in a in a way with black top that we were quite a, a new brand you know, we, we'd been around a few years with Last Consignment, but no one really knew us. Mm-hmm. And so we were small enough to be able to go, let's do some things outside the box. Let's stay up for 24 hours and do a live stream and see <laughs> if that works. Let's, let's, let's just do whatever we could possibly do to try and get our name out there in a world where we couldn't visit a single bar or hang out with our favorite bartenders or, or people, you know, it was uh it re- really forced you to think outside the box. And it was it was an interesting couple of years. It kind of le- leveled the playing field slightly between some of the bigger brands and the small brands, I think. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I can see that now. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk. We are definitely going to talk about that marathon event that you, you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> I have that in line for us later. I think maybe it might be better for us to kind of work our way there with more on Black Tot Rum and, and Navy Rum in general. I kind of wanted to get in a little bit at the start into just kind of like the idea of Navy rum and what it is. And before we get into that real quick, I, you know, when we do these podcasts, I try, I don't always have something to drink with them, but I feel like it's a, you know, it's a fun thing to do. And I try to sort of theme what I'm drinking with the guest. And unfortunately, I didn't have any black tot rum on hand for this event, but when I was listening to one of those many Zoom events you did, um, this one was with Don Davies of the Whiskey Ex- Exchange. I think it was from 2020. 
And she asked you what was kind of one of the first sort of like, holy shit, rums that you had. And you mentioned a, a rum from Venezuela called Santa Teresa, which I mm-hmm. happened to have on hand. So I, I poured some of that and I was like, in Mitch's honor, I'll have some Santa Teresa. But then I started thinking and I was like, wait a second, we're going to be talking about blends this whole time. Why not try to make my own little blend right here oh, at home? Right. So I started with a base of Santa Teresa. I added some Appleton 15 to get some kind of older Jamaican rum in there. Then I went to uh, have to have Guyana in there. I feel like Guyana is obviously a huge staple of Black Tot and Navy rum in general. So I had some (laughs) Hamilton 151 on hand, a little dash of that, and then finished it off with a little Hampton Great House. Um, Just a little bit of those last two since they're the most intense. So I haven't had any of this yet, but I'm going to try to, you know, sort of sip it throughout the conversation and I'll let you guys know how successful or unsuccessful this blend was. Um, My mouth mouth is watering already. (laughs) I'm glad it doesn't sound completely crazy. I I thought of doing it like 15 minutes before the interview and so I was just like grabbing bottles and trying to throw in stuff that made sense. But um, I want to start with Navy Rum. So I feel like Navy rum or Navy style rum has kind of been one of the more abused rum descriptors in recent history. Like <laughs> I, I see so many rums all the time described this way. And then I kind of like read the label or whatever. And it turns out the closest thing to the Navy about them is they have a boat on the label or like, you know, the distiller used to be in the Navy or something like that. But so I, I wanted to ask used you to be in the Navy. That that would be an amazing heritage to have on the Navy rum if the distiller was in any way involved with the Navy. I don't believe that's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So someone should start that brand. That would be much more, <laughs> much more impressive. I wanted to ask for you personally, like what boxes does a modern rum need to check in order to describe itself as a Navy rum or a Navy style rum? That, that's such a good question. And I, I think everything we've been doing over the last couple of years is, is really trying to define that. Um, mm-hmm. so, so much so that when I started with Black Tart and we brought out our new blends like Black Tart Finest Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, our founder, Sikinder Singh, told me flat out, he was like, we're not a Navy rum. And I was like, but you've called it Black Tart. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's not a navy rum. It's 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 not navy strength. I don't class it as navy rum. Like it's just a really good blended rum, but I don't want to call it a navy rum. I'm like, again, you've called it black pot. This is going to be a hard conversation to have. But it, it raises a really interesting point. What is navy rum? What do we define it as? And I think this is, you know, you you say it's one of the more abused rum terms. I mean. I'd say compared to what, like white rum. Okay. Mm. Like mm-hmm. that's why I said one of the most right? yeah. <laughs> white rum, gold rum, dark rum. I mean, like ask anyone that loosely fits into any of those categories, whether that, that feels, uh, you know, like it's been tainted in some way. We've for years and years and years, we have dumbed down rum categorization. We've yep. dumbed down to the to the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. We've made things as simple as possible, and not for any good reason necessarily. Like for you know, honestly, I I believe that as a whole, the rum industry for many years failed to educate people. It failed to in put the money in. It failed to to send the people out and do the education with doesn't mean it wasn't happening but it was on such a small scale that it was a real 
tight knit group of aficionados and and rum lovers that really championed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, look at look at what the average whiskey consumer gets to experience or gets to talk about or gets to how they get introduced to it. You know, if I if I ask someone who's just starting their whiskey journey, do you prefer Scotch or Irish, bourbon mm-hmm. or rye? Like they'll probably have an opinion. They'll probably have an idea or they'll they'll already have made some judgments over them in their mind, whether they prefer Scotch or Irish or American or Japanese or Taiwanese or whatever it is, you know, they've place and geography and, and location and terroir play such an impact in how right. whiskey is talked about that that's, that's their introduction. Then you come to run yeah. and it's white gold, dark spice, Navy, whatever other bullshit there is out there now and it's yeah. like i don't i'm allowed to say bullshit on this podcast but here we are you can <laughs> go edit for it, it out if you need to um if that's your introduction how you how are you going to start talking about it better you know and it's it is it's a hangover from colonialism it's a hangover from how we've always viewed commodities from the caribbean and other yeah. parts of the world like there are 700 islands on the caribbean tell me which one it's from you know, yeah. oh, it's Caribbean. Yeah. It's all, it's all yeah. the same. It's all hot. It's all over there. It's like, no. Like you, you ask anyone from the Caribbean, oh, Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad, it's all the same, right? They'll they'll slap you. They'll tell you no, absolutely not. Of this is not. the reality. Yeah. This is where, where it's coming from. And so we have such a better understanding of region and other spirits. I think partly because you know, in the Western world, it's closer to us. It's it's you know we're more familiar with it. We talk more about it. It's it's got more precedent about talking about region. Rum, we haven't had that. Now, navy for me comes in kind of a, as a blessing and a curse of that. Right. Mm. The best part about Navy rum is that it set a precedent that we can take rum from any part of the world, blend it together still call it rum, but create these incredible layers of flavor between like, you want a bit of funky high ester Jamaica in there? Done. You want some chocolatey Guyanese, beautiful, like wooden pot still in there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can do that. You want some petroly Caroni in there? Absolutely. Why not? Right in there. You want a little bit of grassy agricole in there? Sure. Let's go. We can do that in rum. We have this freedom as blenders to create anything we want. And that for me, is really what Navy Rum set a precedent for. You know, for for me, Navy Rum really in its basic form means a blend. Right. The curse is that when all these different countries get blended together in one bottle and just called rum, you lose that sense of provenance. You lose right. that individuality. You lose where it's coming from. You and lose that- the educational co- like opportunity that you have with it, which is one of the, like the cool things about Black Todd. And I think like the whole style in which I've seen you present and stuff and going back to the label transparency and everything is it's such a cool opportunity to learn about rum. And and that's exactly it. it. It's an opportunity to learn. Like our role as blenders for me shouldn't be to show you the end product and go, aha, look at this amazing thing we've created. <laughs> you know, you don't need to know where it came from. No, that it should be the complete opposite. We should be like the chefs you see on TV. We should be talking about each individual ingredient, each farm, each place it came from, you know, talking about who made it, why right. we chose that specific ingredient and why it works so well together in this flavor combination. It's a different way of looking at a blend and historically in booze, I think we've always had this, this veil up, this mystery component, this, you know, oh, it's a secret right. recipe. Yeah. 
the world isn't like that anymore. You know, there's, there's so much more information out there. There's so much more understanding out there and people are asking better questions. You know, it's, it's, we shouldn't have to hide behind a veil anymore. We should be able to talk about, you know, this is why we put these flavors together and, you know, and I completely respect and appreciate some distilleries go, you know, we don't want our name on the label or right. that we might not be happy when someone, you know, makes a spiced rum with their rum and dump a load of sugar in it or something and go, right. they go, well, please don't call it this anymore. You know, that's fine. But as an educational opportunity, if you're, if you're putting rum together with integrity, with respect to where it's come from, with, with an idea to promote those individual flavors, not drown them out somehow. I think we should be able to talk about that and educate people. And it's a, it's a great way for us to talk about multiple places across the Caribbean and across the world, rather than just going, well, this is the one Island we work with. So this is the best, you know, it's like, no, we can give you a bit of a a snapshot of the whole region. Yeah. And in maybe in the spirit of that, we can take one step back to kind of take two steps forward here. I know the black top rum brand began with the finding of that last bit of that old Navy blend that was uh, provided during the daily rum ration and the history that goes back with that to, to the black tot day of 1970, I think it's July 31st, 1970. And, and I, always, I of, like, I like that aspect of the story because yeah. it's an opportunity to talk about flagons, which I feel like is a container that you don't, <laughs> get, to, flagons. You don't get to sprinkle that word into conversation very often. So I just wanted yeah. to make sure that it was mentioned that the rum was in flagons. <laughs> It is a good word. That's a great <laughs> word. So I know that you know we start there with the Blacktop brand, and then it kind of branches out from there. So I guess what I wanted to kind of ask a little bit about is what's the idea behind Blacktop's finest Caribbean blend? Is it kind of intended to be a, a recreation of that original find, but just using modern components? Or is it sort of just honoring the spirit of it, but not necessarily trying to be reflective of the taste profile of the original? Again, a great question. Uh, there's probably a really good marketing answer I should give to this question. <laughs> but we, we prefer the genuine ones. Think though. quickly, think quickly. <laughs> we're not going to give. Um, no, the, I mean, the honest truth is, is Last Consignment was a run that essentially can never be recreated again. Right. Like, one, the production methods don't exist. Two, the, half the distilleries don't exist. Yeah. You know, it was an infinity blend or a petrol blend that was started in the early 1800s mm-hmm. carried on for uh, as far as we're aware 150 160 years until black tot day and then it was all sealed into flagons the idea of trying to recreate it would always be a bit of a it'd be a cheap imitation whatever mm-hmm. we did even even if we took the best rums in the world even if we really went all out to say oh we're trying to recreate this old flavor exactly how it was you and you've seen brands do it you've seen plenty of brands go oh this is how we used to make it 200 years ago and you go it really isn't like you know so rather than do a cheap imitation of something it really was coming from a place of okay we have this super limited super expensive rum that in the uk costs about 750 pounds a bottle mm-hmm. in the us probably about thousand dollars something like that yeah. that's a rum that you know, very few people in their lifetimes are ever going to dish out that kind of money and, and experience that rum, you know, maybe a bit more if, if you get to find me on a good day at a training somewhere, but <laughs> it's, 
you know, it's it's a really rare experience. And and plus, there's a finite amount of it. You know, we made three thousand bottles of it, and once it's gone, we can't make that blend anymore. That that won't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we had this amazing story with the whole history of Navy rum that we were able to tell, and and this rum that very few people were were able to afford and get into. And and so very early on, the question became: what one? What do we do when that rum runs out? Right. And two, how do we get this story and this idea and this brand in front of more people that might not be just dropping $1,000 on a bottle of rum, you know? Mm. And Sikinder Singh, uh, our founder and our blender, Oliver Chilton, started this idea, you know, years before Finest Caribbean came out. And it was like, how would we do it? How would we put it together? Would it be something very limited, very high-end, you know, Navy strength like our sort of 50th anniversary master blenders ended up becoming yeah. or be something a bit more everyday, something that cocktail bars could use, something that, you know, could be your everyday tot of rum. And eventually, you know, after years and years of going back and forth and, and churning out different ideas, they came, they came on this idea of like, okay, let's make a rum that, you know, could be an everyday tot, could be something a bit more accessible, a bit more affordable, still honors some of the traditions of Navy rum, but you know, to say it's a recreation or a replica, no. Like we're we're rebooting the blend, if you like. Like this is a complete refresh. It's like you're watching your favorite movie from the 70s, and it's like we've just made a reboot. Hopefully, you like the reboot, but you know, some people are always going to prefer the old one. You know, it's like so. So or yeah, you can re- like both. Sometimes you can enjoy both, right? Yeah, or you can like both, absolutely. And and I think I think so often with these things, you look at it from you know, brands talk about a marketing story. They go, okay, why did you put these countries together? We put these countries because this honored this or this or that. That really wasn't how it came about. It came about from a flavor point of view. They tried all the components. They tried all the different styles and they were like, this tastes good. Okay, what if we mix this with this? Okay, this tastes even better. What if we added a little bit of this? And that that's how Finest Caribbean came about. It was 100% flavor forward and so much so when when I started, I, I said to Oliver, our blender, you know, what, what did you create this for? Was it for a Mai Tai? Was it for a particular time of cocktail? What did you have in mind? He's like, he just looked to me like <laughs> perplexed, like, what, what do you mean? He's like, I'm a whiskey drinker. I, I made a rum that I would like to drink. So I made it boozy. I made it not chill filtered. I made it layers of flavor. I made it complex because... He, he was like, some of the rums I've tried have been very simple and I wanted something that had layers and, and more mm-hmm. complexity to it. And he's like, that's what I made. And that that was Finest Caribbean, you know? So, so yeah, we as much as we can shoehorn it into to a brand story, really it came from a flavor first point of view and, and yeah. that, that was why it was made. I imagine him like smacking a cup of ice and a little umbrella out of your hand. <laughs> Why you said that? <laughs> no, he, no. He, uh, honestly, Ollie, <laughs> Ollie is like the least marketing person in the world, uh, and that's that's one, one the reason why I love working with him. Like he's just he is zero bullshit. He's just like, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's, so it was really funny when when our fifty first anniversary rum came out, our Master Blenders Reserve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the marketing team that came up with the Master Blenders Reserve title. And he was like, please don't call it that. <laughs> and, they were, 
they're like, why? It's like, because Mitch is going to call me a master blender and like, take it out of me. And it's like, oh, absolutely, I will. Yes. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he's just so humble. He's so talented. He's so, like, he legitimately is a master blender, but he would, like, t- to him, unless he's been doing it for 100 years and, mm. you know, lives on a mountain, like, harnessing <laughs> his barrels, then he's not a master blender yet. So he's, he's just a very, very humble, very talented guy. On that note, it was this Master Blender Ollie's kind of first foray into rum. You mentioned that he was a whiskey drinker. I was just kind of curious, like what his what like what his career and background is like. Yeah, so Ollie Ollie's got an amazing story. Uh, he always says he just he just kept saying yes uh, was his <laughs> was his path into blending. So <laughs> he came up working in in bottle stores and working at the whiskey exchange stores uh-huh. and. Then, one day, Sikinder asked him to blend some whiskeys together, and he said yes. And Sikinder liked the result, so he ended up becoming this whiskey blender. And after a few years of doing that, like you know, and all he says, you know, he spent twenty years plus in whiskey. You know, that's yeah, his background, that passion, that's what he loved drinking, uh, as as we would be with rum. And when when he first you know came over last consignment had been bottled before Ali even started with with this company and finest caribbean was his first foray into the rum world you know and that was his mm. that's his first pass you know that's cool which is not, pretty not bad for not bad for a first pass yeah, right yeah, not, not bad for a first go right and um and then about a year later was when we did 50th anniversary and that for me was the point where i was like okay like now you're a master where he blender. Given, well, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> for anyone who's tried that rum, I was blown away, you know, and, and he was basically given it with like no constraints, like pick any rums you want. We can set whatever price it needs to be at the end. Just like, just make an amazing blend that's worthy of being the 50th anniversary of Black Tot Day. And he pulls out this blend and, and I remember talking about it with him in the early days and being like, Oh, it'd be cool if I had this and cool if I had this. And then he pulls out this blend and he shows me the list of what's in it. He's like, Oh yeah, I put some 23 year old Crony in there. Cause <laughs> I thought it, <laughs> thought I just needed a bit. Why not? Like, yeah. He's like, and we had some 42 year old Port Morant, so and it needed to <laughs> be older. So I thought we'd put a bit of that in. And he's like, and then I thought it'd just be good if we put some flagons in and it just made it taste older and better. And <laughs> there you go, Will. It's like, seriously? And when I tried that, I was like, okay, fair enough. You're, I will happily follow you into any rum journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, w- I want to know, like, what, what rums were you, like, too concerned about not putting in there, if you were willing to put those rums in there? Like, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, one, one thing, you know, that came up in, in just kind of learning more about you guys leading up to this interview was my first instinct was to kind of ask about it seems like there are some parameters around you want to incorporate rum from countries that was historically used by the Navy. And my first thought was that might be kind of limiting, but then through watching more and going back through uh, a lot of Matt Petrick's excellent articles about Navy rum, it kind of opened my eyes to like, it wasn't just a narrow corner of the rum world that was that the Navy was using throughout its whole history. There was rum from all over the world. So like, is, is, is it basically any, nearly any rum you could think of would have a Navy connection or are there still rums out there that like 
maybe you might not put it in a blend because historically they wouldn't have been used by the Navy. Yeah, again, great question. Um, I think, and and a big shout out to Matt Petrek for this. I, I still reckon Matt's the reason why I got this job uh, today because the night before my interview, I was in London and uh, I got sent a draft copy of Nat, Matt's Navy book that he's- Oh, right, yeah. And so I just stayed up all night, read this whole book and was like, like the ultimate study guide for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I walked in so prepared for that interview, <laughs> very tired, but so prepared. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's completely blew apart what any of us, I think have been told about Navy rum or what, what we'd understood, you know, this idea that it was just British colonies or it was just Barbados, Guyana or right. Because the trouble is the narrative of Navy rum has been so controlled by the companies making Navy rum. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how that narrative changes depending on what they put in the bottle. Yeah, depending <laughs> you know? on like what's available and what they can get. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, 20 years ago, oh, so it's a blend of all these countries. It's like, actually, now it's just this country. And like, you know, it's it's amazing how these stories and narratives change. But really going back to to Matt's research and and what, you know, one of the key things he did was find all of these purchase orders and these receipts for the rum that the Admiralty was actually buying. And, and it wasn't just the British colonies. This was, this was one of the first things that blew my mind. It was like, okay, yeah, we would buy from our own colonies where we could, but if they didn't have enough rum, we would buy from Mauritius, from, Mm-hmm. Martinique from Cuba from all of these different places and and really everywhere that made rum at some point would have gone into the blend um the only time where we have an example of rum being excluded from the blend was towards the end of the 1800s where there's a, a letter to the admiralty saying the Jamaica rum is they said it a very English way they were like it's a bit too flavorful and characteristic <laughs> <laughs> Like it's funky as shit and the sailors don't like it. They were so, trying you know, to be nice about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Too, you know. too many notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm, slightly pungent. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> and so so you have, you know, for several decades, Jamaica rum gets excluded from the blend. And then we have this brief moment after World War II where uh, Jamaica rum gets subbed back into the blend because there was a shortage. And mm-hmm. they had to make a rum there, and so they put it in. And you know, you try these flagons just after post World War II. We've got some flagons from 1953, 1954 that went to Antwerp, and you try them, and they're they're very high ester. They're very Jamaica heavy, you know, because there was clearly put it in. Yeah, exactly. So, and this this is one of the wonderful things about it. And and coming back to your idea of what is a navy rum. Navy rum was this ever-moving target. It was an ever-evolving blend. It was never the same thing every year, you know. And one of the things I'm I'm really happy we're doing with our Black Tot Day blends, like our 50th anniversary and Master mm-hmm. Blends Reserve, is every year it's changing. Every year it's evolving. It's adapting. It's never going to be the same thing twice. And that is the closest experience we can give you in modern day life to what Navy rum was because every year it would have changed. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, for, for listeners who are maybe a little unfamiliar with the history, we'll, we'll link to a lot of Matt's 
work in the show notes to help you learn more about that. But just to give people kind of a, a picture, and you'll know far more about this than me, but essentially the way Navy Rum was done was you had these giant blending vats in London, if I'm remembering correctly, and the mm-hmm. rum was just kind of brought in on ships and added into those blending vats just perpetually. Um, and I think there were even like open air, maybe they caught on fire a few times. Uh, this is like a huge hazard um, back in the day that wouldn't be allowed today. But is that kind of an, an accurate high level per- portrayal of how it worked? Yeah, so well, uh, yeah, okay. So I guess for the, for the benefit of the listeners at home, Lie back and let's uh, let's briefly recap the last three or four hundred years. <laughs> so, first of all, we have this idea that that booze was always a part of life at sea. And if you go back four hundred years ago, you know, water isn't safe. Water isn't something that you can easily transport, or you can't turn on a tap in the sixteen hundreds and get nice, clean drinking mm-hmm. water. You get, you know, you get cholera and. Then to the idea of transporting this potentially already not clean water at sea for a number of days or a number of weeks or months, what are you going to transport it in? Well, you don't have glass or plastic. You have wooden barrels, and these wooden barrels are breathable. They may have had fish in them last week. They may <laughs> have eaten next week, you know, mm, delicious. Um, and the same thing that makes a a barrel so perfect for aging a spirit, that breathing porous nature of the wood, that oxygen exchange, that in and out, that's the worst possible thing you could ever put water in. Right. <laughs> within, you know, within two, three days, it's going green. It's got algae in it. It's slimy. There's, there's something growing in it. it. It smells sour and foul. And so people can't drink it. And they, they realize very early on that if you took something alcoholic, for some reason, that lasted longer. Mm-hmm. And depending on which Navy you came from, that determined what type of booze you would take. So the, the British, the English, we would take beer because we were beer drinkers. You know, 1600s, early 1600s, whiskey isn't even on the scene yet. Gin, maybe if you're fancy pants officer. <laughs> and can afford a bottle, you have that, but not the general crew. Pretty much same today. Yeah. No, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> spiced, no. Um, brandy. I mean, we loved brandy. We loved cognac. We hated the French. So we didn't want to give them money if we could help it. So, you know, it was this like, you know, what can you take that we can make on our on our own land? Beer was the obvious answer. And then we would trade and buy different things in from port to port as we go. And every Navy would have their own thing. You know, the Portuguese, you'd have port. You'd have Spanish, you'd have your sherry. French, mm. you would have French, you would have everything. Champagne, cognac, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. That's why they lost those battles. Um, <laughs> and uh, sorry to any French listeners today. I'm very <laughs> It's ancient history, Mitch. Ancient history. <laughs> I'm I'm skipping over a few parts, but you know that's the general gist. Um, and then you know you have late 1500s, early 1600s. You have all of these European colonial powers starting to hit up the Caribbean and the Americas, mm-hmm. and you know it, it becomes this dark day in human history in in terms of colonialism and everything that's going on um, in that part of the world. And at this time, this is where you start to have the emergence of your Rambullion, your Rambustion, your Kill Devil, your Rum coming out. And the question becomes, what do we drink on the way back? 
because we've drunk everything on the way there. They haven't saved anything for the return journey and they're not making beer, whiskey, gin, brandy on the islands. They're making rum. And so we have this early record of rum first being served to the ships, 1655 at the Battle of Jamaica, um, because we failed to take over Hispaniola. And so we went to Jamaica instead and we fought the Spanish there. And then when we won this battle against the Spanish, everyone got a tot of rum. And this is the first official record of rum being given out as a ration Mm. to the nation. Nothing gets officially written in until 1731 because before 1731, there is no official Navy rules. It's pretty much up until then. It's your ship, your rules. You run it how... It's not like a manual or anything that everyone gets. (laughs) Yeah, It's like, we're going to give you some money. Go and do this thing. You know, please don't be a pirate. Um, And so 1731, they're like, hmm, we should probably have some standards here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're British. We love rules. We love you know, <laughs> confinements and things. So we're like, let's let's write a manual. Let's write these rules. So 1731, you get the first naval code. And in that code, we write every man on board, every sailor is entitled to either eight pints of beer per day or half a pint of overproof spirits. Easy choice. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, this, and it's very much based on whatever's available, but I, I don't know if anyone listening has ever tried to sail a ship after eight pints of beer or half a <laughs> pint of spirits, but it's a pretty wild time, especially when you've got a crew of a hundred people all tanked up on eight yeah. pints of beer or half a pint of overproof. So people are going nuts. They're throwing each other overboard. They're fighting. It's all like mayhem for a year. And they very quickly, they halve the ration, then they halve it again. And then 1740, Admiral Edward Vernon comes along and he wears this grogham coat, which is made of mohair and silk glued together, which is new technology in 1740 because it's a waterproof coat and no one had ever heard of waterproof before. They're like, what an idea. We can not get wet. Amazing. (laughs) That's like the original Patagonia. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like Navy recruits went way up, right? Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, waterproof in England, that's a seller, right? (laughs) So so all the sailors call this guy Old Grog because, you know, they have a nickname for everyone in the Navy. And then when he waters down this rum to lessen the effects on the crew, they're like, Grog. Son of a bitch. Yeah, you know, it is not a complimentary term. It's not like a "Mm, delicious you hear these stories of people saying, oh, they invented the first daiquiri on board the ships with rum, <laughs> yeah. lime, and sugar. And it's like, no, they, they, it was just watered down rum. It would have tasted like shit. And they were not happy about their rum being watered down. So they mm-hmm. called it grog and it was a derogatory term. But this grog became part of your daily life. And every day at 11 a.m., 10.30 to 11 a.m., you'd get this cool. Everyone would get their tot of rum. And yeah, in the early days, if you were a junior officer, you'd get it watered down. And if you were higher, higher up officer, you'd actually get your rum neat. At some point they said, maybe we shouldn't get the guys in charge drunk every day. (laughs) So they stopped that ration altogether for them. But it it seems like every time they're having to relearn this same lesson. (laughs) Maybe people shouldn't be drunk, right? (laughs) It's But it's so funny, isn't it? It's like our relationship to booze as a culture has changed so much. Oh, yeah. Even if if you go to a pub in Ireland and you see these old like Guinness posters on the wall and it's like, good for you, good for the baby. You know, it's like, (laughs) 
and and this relationship we have with booze being a, a medicinal good for mm-hmm. your health good for your spirits you know this was so synonymous with the navy with the armed forces with this whole idea of you know vitality strength health and you know you go back far enough and yeah it was healthier than water for the most part because it didn't have the germs in it that killed you um times have changed you know yeah, and and yeah. this is you know when people say oh what why did why did they end the navy rum rum ration why did you know black tot day happen in 1970 it's all about perspective you know you go okay it's 1970 in 1958 we invented nuclear submarines mm. now for 12 years we said should we still <laughs> give the people on nuclear submarines rum every day <laughs> it's and a fair question it's a very fair question yeah. but 12 years what's 12 even years yeah <laughs> 12 years we said absolutely it's tradition <laughs> Give them the rum and i don't i don't know about you guys we haven't had a few daiquiris together yet but for me if there was a big red button and we'd had a few rums together i'd be like what what happens when we put it on <laughs> let's just find out you know and and it's in it's insane and and what was interesting was the captains knew about it like the commanders of these fleets knew about it so you have these you would regularly have you know uh targeting tests and yeah. you know different different tests for each of the ships make sure okay like what are your gunners doing making sure everything's you know up to spec and they would say if they had a targeting test they'd be like okay no one drinks rum the day before we do the <laughs> test we do the test on a day sober. They'd nail the test. And then everyone got two tots of rum the next day because it's like, okay. Success. You can just, of course. Yeah. You've got a steady hand. You're okay. You know? <laughs> so they knew this was a thing, but it was it was so ingrained in our culture and our tradition that they kept it going for officially for 239 years, which is amazing. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. And that was, you know, that's the British Navy story. Every Navy had their different different time where they gave up the tots, you know, some earlier than others, some later yeah. than others, some never had it. But but yeah, you know, it's a it's a fascinating journey of, of yeah. how that tot came to be. So so somewhere at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean in the Mariana Trench, there's a British Navy nuclear submarine uh, <laughs> that uh that went down and never heard from again. Someone the Navy said, doesn't you know, talk about. They don't talk about that one. You know, maybe this Todd idea is time. No, don't don't give anyone ideas. We're going to see a brand come out now, be like <laughs> submarine spice drum, like infused, <laughs> infused with the Atlantic Ocean. Yes, flavor and just like yeah, the yeah. lost submarine <laughs> atomic, <laughs> atomic <laughs> rum. atomic oh we should totally release atomic rock james cameron's gonna make a movie about it where we're gonna go underneath the ocean we're gonna find this we're gonna pull the rum out it's it's great i can see it all coming together right now right let's get marketing on it we'll sell it to diaz in five years (laughs) we'll all cash out here (laughs) uh well thank you mitch but that was an amazing uh tale and a lot of that i i was unaware of and really uh fascinating so i want to kind of steer us maybe back into talking about uh black tot in the present day i want to ask you uh, as the the brand ambassador and you're talking to so many people about this as a multi-country blend 
are there preconceived notions about that for some people? One, I, I guess let me set it up this way. One of the things about rum right now is that you've got the the people in the know, probably the people that listen to this podcast mostly and, and those we know. And then you've got this other market that's kind of just finding their way in rum. And, and that's, you know, through all the stuff we mentioned uh, of all the, the pitfalls of, of rum right now. Is there any kind of difference that you perceive in those two populations as you present Black Todd as a multi-country blend at all? In, in terms of how those audiences perceive, perceive sure. a multi-country you mean? Or? I think it's like the quality, the, the perceived quality of a blended spirit versus something of a single origin. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. And I think, I think we're always slightly skewed in the spirits industry when we look at, you know, blended whiskey versus blended rum. And we yeah. have this limitation because we're using the same term, blended, across both spirit categories. And, and they're not necessarily the same thing at all. You know, we're talking about two very different ideas, two very different meanings. Um, and it's interesting because when you talk to whiskey people, you know, generally people who are starting off their whiskey journey are like, oh yeah, I've heard single malts are better. So I should always go with a single malt, single distillery. This is better than a blended whiskey. And on some levels you go, okay, yeah, because blended whiskey might refer to a blended, a blend of grain and a blend of single malt. And so you're mm-hmm. blending something quite mass produced with something pot still. And so you're sort of getting something in the middle and you go, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's a fair connotation in some instances. Then you have your blended malts, which is just a blend of awesome single malts from a region. And you go, well, they're all pretty good usually. So mm-hmm. that can be done very well if it's done by, by someone who has good taste. Um, so we have these, uh, you know, and the other thing with that, is the whiskey industry has done a wonderful job of marketing single malt people for the last yeah. 50 years. You know, they have told you all it's the best. That's like the epitome of quality. Like, I feel like even if you're not a spirits drinker, a spirits drinker, if you hear the term like single malt whiskey, you're like, oh, that's yeah. supposed to be the best. People go, oh, yeah. And then you go, do you know what single malt means? And they're like, <laughs> uh, it's one of one. something. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> yeah, number one, one type of malt. Uh, like, it just means it's from one distillery, and they're like, "Huh, cool." Okay, that doesn't sound that cool. But <laughs> and then, then you have rum, and then you have this idea of blending rum, and and this is where you know. Okay, so now we can, if we take it back to the base level I talked about with whiskey, because go, okay, well, a blended rum could be a pot and column still blend of rum. Mm-hmm. And you could go, well, that could be something mass produced, blended with something more artisanal and blended together and meet in the middle and it could be okay. And then people go, well, what about something like Foursquare coming from Barbados? That's pot and column. And that's like one of the most amazing rums in the world. And you go, oh, well, that's a small column. It's more artisanal. It's a more cop- small copper column. It's not one of these big industrial things. You're like, so is blended rum good then? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. But it's only <laughs> one country or one distillery. And you go, cool. Well, what if we took Foursquare and mixed it with some Hampton or some Worthy Park or some Port Morant or some Coroni? What, like, could we make something amazing with it? It's like, yeah, probably. It's like, cool. So this is, this is the freedom we have in the rum world that no other spirit gets to enjoy. And 
I was, I, I think Ian Burrell always said it best of this is like, like rum is the best spirit in the world. Like we can take all of these different amazing liquids. We can put them all together and we can still call it rum. You know, we can still mm-hmm. put that all together. It's, it is, it's a privilege. It's something that we can do. That's amazing. And if we're much like a chef who's putting together ingredients for a dish, if you're only using good ingredients, presumably you're going to get something pretty great at the end of it. Right. If you use shit ingredients, you'll get something, you know, maybe not so great at the end of it. That's okay. But what what we're trying to do is 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 show that with a blended spirit, with a blended rum specifically, if we talk about these individual regions, if we don't just say, oh, it's a blend of the Caribbean, it's a blend right. of where yeah. don't, don't ask too many questions, don't ask where it's come from stop doing that. Let's talk about exactly where it comes from. Let's talk about the individual regions. Let's talk about why each individual region is so unique and so different and adds such a different flavor profile together. We can really make something that has these beautiful layers of flavors. And, you know, for me, like taking finest Caribbean as an example, you've got Barbados, that's your fruity pina colada, vanilla, coconuts, beautiful pineapple notes. Like, you know, that's your beautiful fruit basket rum right then you've got your guyana that's your chocolate coffee licorice your sort of richer darker deeper deeper Mm -hmm. notes going in there then you've got your jamaica which is your spice your funk your kind of overripe bananas and your your funkier kind of fruits and each one of those has a different point on the flavor wheel you know each one of those is firing off a different part of your tongue a different part of your taste buds And sometimes you're going to want just one of them. Sometimes you're going to want, you know what? I just want Barbados. I just want Guyana. I just want Jamaica, whatever it is. You know, sometimes you want just that one flavor. And sometimes you just want the whole orchestra. You know, you want all of it playing together. And that's where a blend really comes into its own. It's it's interesting because I think like I had a little bit of my own, I wouldn't say like resistance, but I had, I guess, somewhat of preconceived notions even as recently as a few years ago of like, like a blend can be cool, but I kind of want, like, I want that distillery's vision of what the rum is because when it's a blend, it's just, you know, some company, some person, mm-hmm. I don't really know putting it together. Yeah. Who who knows like if they're skilled at that or, or whatever, but over the mm-hmm. years, I've just had too many good ones to like <laughs> hold on to that because there's a lot of skilled people out there who are able to put together really amazing things and i think yeah. the other the 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 best thing about rum right now is that we have more and more of these heritage producers who are now releasing their own stuff so we have that perspective yeah in addition to these sort of you know blended products and stuff that have been around for a long time so it you're able to seek out and get that that vision that all came from from Hampton, for example, instead of just experiencing that in a blend. So, yeah, I, I think if if anyone is kind of hesitant about blends, I would encourage them to to seek some out because you'll you'll find some really amazing stuff out there. One one question I had, and this is going back a little bit to kind of the emphasis on transparency that y'all have had at Black Tot. You've you know, put it out there that unless this has changed since wherever it was, I read this, but I, I know at some point that the blend in finest Caribbean was a hundred percent tropically aged at origin, which I, I thought was interesting because I was imagining that most of the rum that would have ended up in actual 
navy blends might not have gone through as much tropical aging. Maybe it would have spent its most time in those great big vats in London. Um, mm. So I, I was just kind of interested in why you made the choice to do uh, rums that have been aged at origin. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe you've already spoken a little bit to that as in, in, in terms of talking about how you're not necessarily beholden to trying to recreate things exactly as it was. So maybe it's a little bit of that in the equation. But, but yeah, how, how did you end up on on tropically aged as opposed to, you know, sourcing more stuff aged in, in Europe? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was it was very much flavor first. Again, you know, it was what tastes good and what works and you know there's there's obviously a lot of debate in the rum world and a lot of contention over tropical versus continental aging and Mm -hmm. you know that's a whole another two-hour podcast that we can we can delve into on that but (laughs) i think it's you know when we when we look at you know younger rums which we're primarily blending into something like black top finest caribbean you know our oldest rum we've got five-year barbados uh, which comes from the four square distillery we've got some three to five-year-old guyanese rum we've got some a little bit of unaged guyanese rum and we've got some three-year jamaican which comes from worthy park now when we've got young rums that we're, we're playing with i think you know unless we're talking about just unaged I think young rums, you know, you need that tropical aging, you know, that's mm. where it really, it, it hits it hard. Mm. It, it transforms the rum in, the, in those first few years. It's going to get more interaction with the wood down there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think it's, there, there are various different models and reasons I've heard for it. And people saying, oh, you know, five years in the Caribbean is like 15 years in it Scotland. It ages or faster. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, you might be losing three times as much from the barrel. That's fair. Um, it's, it's not as yeah. if time speeds up. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's like when you, like, sizzle that steak on a hot pan for mm-hmm. one minute. It's like burning hot cast iron versus slow cooking it for 24 hours. Like, the, you're going to end up with two completely different flavors, two completely different meats at the end. You're going to end up with two completely different rums. You know, it's not like you put one here for five years and one in the cold for 15 years and it will be the same rum at the end. It's yeah. like, well, you'll have two very different rums. So, so I think, yeah, when, when you're working with younger rums, especially, you know, that tropical aging really, it speaks for itself, you know, and, and, you you taste it and it gives so much flavor and so much of that potency that you need in a, in a blend. And for, again, for Ollie, when he was deciding all of this, this was his first foray into rum. I, I don't think he was necessarily coming at it as most of the people listening to this podcast might be and being like, Oh, I'd better pick a tropically aged rum. Otherwise the guy <laughs> from the ministry of rum will have a go at me. It's like, yeah. you know what? this tastes amazing. <laughs> what, what is it? Oh, it's this. Okay, let's put that in. You know, like mm-hmm. where it was from, where it was aged, everything that was always secondary to the flavor of the blend. So you know, and and it's it's really unique in that way. I think because there's very few rums on the market. I think you could say were completely blended together just purely for the flavor and and what it's tasted like combined yeah. like that. We we mentioned uh, Matt Petrick a little bit earlier and talked talking about some of the information that he's brought up with Navy rum. And, and I know there are others out there that are doing some more unearthing and, and myth busting and new discoveries made in, in that area and in, in the area of Navy rum in general over the past few years. For you, is there any 
yet to be resolved aspect or or mysteries about Navy Rum that you'd love to know the answer to that we don't have yet? Oh, absolutely. There's so many, and there's and there's a lot which you know I've discussed with Matt as well that we're both sort of itching to find out. You know, and there's these a lot of the things that don't get recorded in these uh, in these archives is mm-hmm. the why. You know. Mm. You get recorded. Okay, we're we're blending everything to fifty four point five percent ABV, right? Or four and a half degrees under proof, based yeah. on your system and imperial measurements and all this stuff. And you go, why? And it doesn't speak back to you. Those papers, <laughs> I know. And you go, you go, why? And then there's and then there'll be like some bartender going like, because they wanted to not like dilute the gunpowder and stuff. And like, mm, no, that probably isn't true. But it's a great story, you know. Like, yeah, there's, there's all these myths, these fables, because we we try to justify everything. We try to find order in the chaos whenever mm-hmm. we look at these numbers and these things, and we go, oh, oh they must have done it. it for this. They must have done that for that. Like. You know, maybe it was arbitrary. Maybe someone said no. You know, fifty-four point five because everything we're getting in is either fifty-five and above, and we need a consistent ABV across all the blends to make sure it's consistent when we put it in the barrels, so that when they water it down, that they know exactly what ABV they're working with, and fifty-four point five is the minimum we can work with that mm-hmm. allows us to use the least amount of barrels to not being inconsistent but based on the proof of the barrels that we're getting in from the caribbean like that's the best working example we have of why they chose that abb is that why we have no idea yeah. um, you know i would love to know who the person was who finally decided that and just went yeah did they just pluck it out the air or did yeah. um lots of things like that lots of things like We've got uh, videos, archive footage of blenders in the 1960s going, okay, we were blending Barbados, Gaia, uh, Trinidad, and Australian rum together. Mm-hmm. And you go, cool, that's what you were doing in the 1960s. What did you do in the 50s? What, and you know, it's gone. What were you doing during World War II? Uh, things like we know the army got, extra rum rations in world war one for the front line in the trenches now the army never had a rum ration before that so where did they get the rum from did the navy give them some of theirs did they do an individual blend just for them was it something separate was it something was there a football you know, game one of them won but a bet yeah, you know, like <laughs> did someone steal some flagons um <laughs> One story that's very close to us. So I, I went up to our warehouse where we we have the. So when we bottled Black Tot last consignment, we had all of these boxes of flagons from that Sekinder had collected. And we didn't bottle all of them. We still have some left. And so one of my first jobs when I started was to go up there and sort of look at these flagons and try to decipher when they were bottled, where they were bottled, what was going on. And what was interesting was like, okay, we've got two distinct sets of flagons. We've got some from Black Tot Day. So 1970, December 1970, roughly, is when most of them were bottled, five months after Black Tot Day. Then we've also got a whole load of flagons from 1953, 1954. And we go, okay, why do these flagons still exist? And you look at the boxes that they come in, which are all nailed shut and wrapped in tin wire to keep them secure. And they've got stamped on one side Antwerp. We go, okay, what, what happened in Antwerp in 1954? Okay, the, the Allies set up a naval base after World War II. 
And then on the other side of the box, it says repacked 1967, and they were sent back to London. And you go, well, hmm. why was it sent back to London 1967? And, you know, we know there were some strikes starting to happen. So maybe there were some strikes at the dockyards. Maybe they didn't have enough run for the Navy. But for some reason, these flagons survived for 13 years and no one drank them, which is unheard of in the Navy. To- <laughs> <laughs> no sailor I tell this to can understand how on earth we have flagons that didn't get drunk for 13 years. This seems insane to them. So <laughs> that, that sounds like you could release them at some point and call them the lost flagons, right? Mm. That would be the marketing uh, story. One, one of my dreams, if Sekinder is listening to this, because I keep banging on about it, is I'd love to release like single flag and releases so that Ooh. people can go, okay, here's yeah. 1953, here's 54, here's 69, here's 70, here's, here's how the blend evolves so you can really see firsthand. Yeah. Because Last Consignment is a blend of those two eras. It's a blend of those 50s flagons and the 70s flagons together because they've, they've got such different flavor profiles, they kind of balance it out really uh, well. Yeah. So, we can't do last consignment again because we don't have that ratio of flagons left. Right. But we could still release some special flagon releases. And this, this is this is a new <laughs> a new category of rum, single flagon rum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we want to talk about categorization. Let's go. <laughs> so we we've talked mostly about kind of the flagship black tot blend, which is finest Caribbean. I want to talk a little bit. You you mentioned Master Blenders Reserve and 50th anniversary a little bit. And I think that what you guys are doing with those is really cool. And I, I want to make sure that I understand it. So my understanding is you released the 50th anniversary blend, which was an entirely new blend. As you mentioned, it had some old Coroni rum in there. It had some stuff that wasn't in Finest Caribbean necessarily. And then it also had a, a, a small amount of some of that original kind of flagon rum blend from last consignment and then if i'm understanding correctly the blenders reserve then you took some of that 50th anniversary recast it in x sherry barrels and kind of used that as a base of that blend to which then you added you know a bunch of great elements from guyana barbados trinidad jamaica you got some australia in there which i think is a whole other cool like little side yeah. trail of, of naval rum history australian rum being involved in there and then there's again a little bit of that flag and rum in there as well it, it, am, am i understanding that correctly is is that an accurate representation of how those work it, it is. It's absolutely mental, isn't it? It's yeah. it's, <laughs> it's it's in really the, it's really cool though. In the best way possible, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly it's it's a dream to work with because when we first and I'll, I'll tell you exactly how it came about because it's again, it wasn't all intentional, <laughs> but it worked out very, very well. So um so coming, uh, I, I guess, to preface this a little bit, um, when we were talking about the Navy rum history, for the first like 100 years of the Navy rum ration, it was very much, you get whatever rum you can, you drink it on your ship, off you go, you know, and then they started to put mounts on it and all this kind of stuff. And it was only from the beginning of the 1800s where they said, let's actually create one consolidated blend in London. Let's bring all the rum to one place. Let's blend it all here and make it consistent across the fleet. And this was a new idea, industrialization, like conveyor belts, mm-hmm. this whole like, what? You know, this was, this was all new thinking going right. on. And 
And a lot of it came from the fact that they couldn't tax people if they were all doing their own trading off off country, you know, in the islands. So they were like, no, bring, you bring it all back here first. <laughs> Let us tax you. <laughs> and, then we'll send, yeah. and then we'll send it back out from there. So this is, this is the sort of beginning of this consolidation. Now, for the Navy blend, it was interesting because they... The, the merchants were the ones who got together first of all and said, we'll build the West India docks and then, you know, the East India docks later on and everything else. And they actually put it forward. They, they were the ones who suggested it and championed it because essentially they were losing the most money from the current system. And the system pre-West India docks was you had one dock, you had all of your ships coming up the River Thames in a line mm-hmm. and one by one, each ship would get unloaded and you might be waiting 12 weeks in line to get your ship unloaded. Now, do you want to pay for a whole crew for that ship for 12 weeks whilst you're sat waiting to unload? Of course not. So you run a skeleton crew. Now on that ship, you have some of the most expensive spices and sugar and rare exotic fruits and things from around the world that are worth literally their weight in gold starts to go missing yeah how much (laughs) of that is going to survive 12 weeks waiting in dock so obviously half it ends up overboard or consumed or whatever so they build these docks and they they create a system where 12 ships at a time can get offloaded and part of this, the, the Navy ends up with their own vitulling yard, which is basically a warehouse where they go, right, here are all the uniforms, here's all the meats, here's all the everything else that you need for the ship, and here's your rum. And they build these giant blending vats, and they have, yeah, each, each blending vat is a wooden blending vat, size of an Olympic swimming pool, open top. All con- they had about 32 of these vats, all connected with a pipe a third of the way up. As you rightly said, we'll... They caught fire twice. So the first time, you can look it up in the papers, all the tops of the vats were on fire. They sent the fire brigade in. It took them a week to put the fire out because every time they sent someone in, they get so drunk off the fumes. Wow. Switched the person out. They didn't know how to deal with the, the alcohol fumes, you know? So, so literally it's been on fire twice. And so this, this blend of rum starts and it carries on, as, as you say, for a hundred plus years. Now, this idea of... The, those pipes a third of the way up and being able to you know drain off the vats leave a third in for blend consistency top mm-hmm. them up with new casks every year it evolves L- let's be honest it's it's not a master blender in the navy going mm, let's create a delicious blend <laughs> you know, needs needs a touch more hampton this like, <laughs> bring some more dok in come on <laughs> No, they're blending what they can get a hold of to a certain extent. They're, they're, you know, creating what they can. They're trying to make it nice enough that the sailors don't mutiny and, and yeah. throw the captain overboard, sure. But this ever-evolving blend starts. Now, when I first learned about this and I started with Black Tart, and again, you know, I'd been reading Matt, Matt Petrek's book the night before and I was very excited. So I got the job and I was like, Amazing. If we want to be really authentic, can we then build our own open top wooden blending vats, connect them all with pipes, you know, throw the rum in there, let it evaporate off 10%. Let's recreate it. Yeah, let's let's make it exactly how it was back in the 1800s. And Ollie (laughs) just looked at me with a a sort of, I want to say contempt. I think it... (laughs) 
or despair. It was it was something <laughs> along those lines. And there, he just, there's a pattern like, here with you with you and Ollie. <laughs> oh, we, we have we have a wonderful wonderful working relationship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's amazing. I'm, I still have a job, uh, but yeah, no, we, he he just looked to me with this kind of like that. How could that possibly work in 2020? Like, how could we ever like HMRC our tax people would they alone would shut you down within a day because. <laughs> You're just going to evaporate off 10% of your rum every year in London because it tastes good. What are you talking about? Like, so no, we're not going to create our own perpetual blend. I was like, okay. So, you know, I'd bring it up every now and then as, as I, as I do. Um, and then we came to 50th anniversary and he puts together this blend and he's like, we're making 5,000 bottles of it and it's incredible. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And he's like, I've put Coroni, Port Morant and, flagons in there i'm like this is insane and i'm drinking it and it's amazing and then i get this call one day and he's like so we sent it off to the bottling hall to get blended now let's take a step back how does a blend work when you're blending something in our case we would take samples individual rums that we want to put together from all the different casks we right. make a little press sample in our lab from our little 100 mil samples that we've right. taken from task we put it together and then if it's very expensive or very rare ollie will fly to the blending bottling hall because Mm -hmm. they might be bottling they might be bottling a hundred other spirits that day for different companies and different things you know and they don't care what your fancy rum is versus their tequila or whiskey or whatever else yeah and so he will oversee it and make sure just in case they put the wrong thing in there or too much of something too little we will oversee the whole thing now we released 50th anniversary, obviously 2020, start of the pandemic. Um, so we sent off this beautiful sample to the bottling hall with the exact specifications because Ollie couldn't travel up there. Like this is exactly oh. what I want you to put in this blend. Yeah. And they sent it back and we tried it. And <laughs> we we're like, hmm, it just it just smells of Jamaica. And we tasted it. It was like, oh, it just, it only really tastes of Jamaica. <laughs> so we wrote, we wrote back to the bottling hall and we said, just checking. <laughs> you know that cask of nine-year Hampton, very high ester, very funky, intense, pot still Jamaican rum. You know, we said just <laughs> a third, one third of the cask in. We're just, we're just checking. You did just put a third of the cask in. They're like, Oh, we thought you said three. We, oh, wow. we put three casks in. Whoa. We're like, ah. <laughs> so we're not crazy. And we're like, right. Okay. Well, yes, good. We don't have COVID. We can still taste it. So. <laughs> um, and then, so it's about at this stage, I think it's about a month or two just before Black Tot Day and the 50th anniversary and our big reveal and, Dawn Davies and I are already planning the 24 hours and we're all yeah. like all ready to launch this rum to the world. And Ollie's like, yeah, it's broken. It just tastes of Jamaican rum now. And he's like, so he then starts calling up, trying to get more casks of already incredibly rare rum to essentially balance out this blend. Oh, wow. Right. Cause he's like, well, we've got two extra casks of Hampton in there. I need to, 
fill it out with the other, you know, I need to balance it again. So he calls up, you know, people like Main Rum in Liverpool who, you know, have have a lot of these casks. He's like, can we have some more casks of these? And they're like, mm. please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and they're like, well, we've, you know, we kind of already promised some some of them to these people. But, yeah, if they don't pay on time, maybe you can have some. And yeah. Luckily, it's the rum world, so no one pays anything on time. So we got, <laughs> we got some of those. And then, um, and luckily, we, Sekinda had the Caroni, the Port Morant, and the Flagons, obviously. So we already had that part. So Ollie then rejigs the whole blend a month out from Black Tot Day. It ends up, if you look at the original label that got released on the TTB, which obviously Matt Petrek was all over. Spoils everything. Yeah, the TTB. All right. You know, like, ta da. If you look at that label versus the actual label on the bottle now, um, the one on TTB, I think, had 6% of Hampton and the current label says 8%. Mm. So if you look at those percentages, if you want to really get geeky on it, you can compare the new label to the old label and you can see the adjustments. We, we did all the adjustments on the label. We made sure it was legit. So it's slightly funkier than the original one, which for me, I preferred anyway. Uh-huh. But the best part was I get this phone call from Ollie being like, yeah, so we've now got a third extra rum. And I'm like, go on. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, you can can hear this sort of sigh in his voice. He's like, yeah, so you know you wanted to do that thing with the perpetual blend and keep a third back every year and then top it up with new casks and, and, you know, do this thing. I was like, yeah. It's like... (laughs) So we're going to do it. It's like, not because it's your idea, just because we've got the extra arm. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, so I'm going to keep a third back. I'm going to put it in sherry casks for the next six months. I'm going to top it up with new casks, but then I'm going to keep a third back next year on purpose. And then the year after that, we'll add new casks to that. He's like, he's like, so essentially I'm like, so we've got the Navy blend back. He's like, yeah. (laughs) the navy blend back <laughs> and it was a great day so uh that's so awesome. yeah that's a fist pump moment yeah <laughs> i was so excited and when you look at it now like the short version of this story when when you see us do a tasting where we don't have more time to right. let and we just know what's happened it's like wow you guys really thought that through you really, <laughs> yeah. really you listened you listened to mitch's great idea and you yeah. just yeah <laughs> Always, a, always, a, well, never a good plan, but you know, sometimes, <laughs> and you know, it really looks well thought out, but really, it was just making the best of what was at the time the worst possible situation a month out from launching this new rum. Yeah. And as it turns out, obviously, every rum nerd in the world just cried out simultaneously tears of daiquiri joy because they were just <laughs> like, yes. This is awesome. And luckily it tastes good as well, which, which also helps. So, <laughs> so you've, you've got this, uh, this 50th anniversary rum and you've got the finest Caribbean. And then, uh, as you mentioned, this event is coming. You, along with Don Davies from the Whiskey Exchange, uh, celebrated the, the 50th anniversary in 2020 mm-hmm. by doing this insane 24-hour marathon celebration streaming online with an amazing guest list full of people and all this wonderful stuff that you were doing. So now that that's kind of in the rearview window, it's a couple years behind you. I wanted to ask, how difficult was that to plan and execute? And and did everything go according to plan or, or were there there's some things that happened you had to adjust or can, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> 
uh yeah it's it's uh, honestly it's such a it's one of the pinnacles of of my career i'd say that that day <laughs> um and had it not been for meeting someone like dawn davies to do it with like it would never have happened because no one would have ever been that insane to stay up for 24 <laughs> hours and like that like it's just unheard of and you know what it was, it was funny so the the prelude where you know when i started with black tart i started january 2020 so five six months before the 50th anniversary pre-covid so Janu- i was gonna say january 2020 the perfect time to start something new right absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah you know I, I was like oh i'm gonna be chatting around the world this is gonna be beautiful and and you know essentially i i got the job by pitching you know this is how we'll do the 50th anniversary we'll do a party in every major rum bar around the world we'll do we'll fly to every city we'll go and like we'll do toasts with all these rum lovers around the world and you know we'll bring the world of rum together that was my mm-hmm. idea it's like we're a navy blend it was a world blend let's bring yeah. the world of rum elevator together. pitch yeah yeah you know like i wanted to throw the most amazing global party for black tot day and you know really celebrate it and then two months later <laughs> this cough <laughs> started and um and yeah it was like okay what are we going to do for the 50th anniversary what how are we going to celebrate it and really early on we i'd had this idea of like doing this 24-hour thing which had actually come from a previous life career of mine which was i I used to be a karate instructor for nine years okay one thing we did as this karate club we were called the ninja turtles we were we were very passionate group of, of little martial artists back in the day and we did this charity event one year where we stayed up for 24 hours and we we trained and we had different teachers on every hour and we did this we did That's this incredible event. and and that was mental and <laughs> i was like i loved the idea of it and i thought you know wouldn't it be cool to do something like that with run but how would we do it what would we do and it went through a couple of different variations and I was like, why don't we do this as our bringing the world of rum together? And on, honestly, the, the main focus of it was, you know, how do we kind of get the idea of the brand out of the way? How do we just focus on it being about all rum, not just our rum, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully it, it comes across if you, you can look look back on the 24 hours if you if you really have a spare day uh, on our YouTube <laughs> channel. But we really tried to make the day about celebrating all these different regions of rum, all these different places. And, you know, some of it, yeah, had a, a Navy tie-in or some of it had a tie-in to what we do. But a lot of it was just like, let's talk to this producer. Let's try and get under the skin of what goes on in these places because – now it kind of feels like it's been done. You know, there's been so many great initiatives online and so many great interviews with these people around the world that, you know, there's a huge bank of online content before, but you know, pre 2020, that didn't exist. No one, no one had that. No one had access to these distillery tours around the Caribbean, unless you flew there. No one got to speak to the master blender of these places, unless they happened to turn up at a rum fest. And most of the time they were too busy making rum, you know? So yeah, it was this opportunity to open the door to the behind the scenes of a lot of the rum world, which which we'd never seen before. And, you know, for us, the, the chance to, I guess, be the platform to bring all these people together under one roof and go, you know, 
look, the run world, you know, for, for me, the run world was always about bringing people together. That's how I got introduced to run. That's my first yeah. bar job was at Trailer Happiness. It was always this welcoming community of bringing everyone together. And I was like, what if we could do that online? Because, you know, on- online isn't always that nice, safe space to bring everyone together. And Right. <laughs> Putting it lightly. Yeah. You know, some people have opinions from time to time, you know, and I was like, what if we just, what if we just have a day where we just celebrate rum in, in all its forms and, and all its places? And, and yeah, luckily I, as I say, I'm, I met Dawn that year. I met Dawn when I started with Black Tart. You know, she was like, who the hell is this guy that <laughs> wants to do this thing? And, you know, for some reason she agreed, uh, probably the worst decision she ever made. But, uh, <laughs> But it ended up just being this magical 24 hours. And we we were pretty much up the whole day prior to it, writing our last questions oh, and wow. doing up everything and testing everyone's videos from around the Caribbean and yeah. all this stuff. And, you know, when we hit go, it somehow it just worked. Somehow. That's great. Yeah. How these people turned up on time. It's the run world. No one ever turns up on time. <laughs> somehow most of the connections pretty much worked from the from the get-go and it was just this amazing celebration it's meant to be yeah yeah yeah. it was really fun i i I will be honest in saying i did not get to see all 24 hours uh but (laughs) but the what i did uh take part in was great yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and you know what's what's cool is you you followed that up as well so after that, I know uh, as part of the Florida Rum Society, and I, I, I assume you did this with quite a few different groups where you did another uh, online kind of virtual event and went through the tasting of the components of the Black Tot Finest Caribbean. So you, you have those three uh, areas, the Jamaica, Guyana, and the Barbados that you get to try on their own, and then you get to try the Black Tot blend. That was a really educational and fun and interesting experience as well. Are, are you still doing that? portion of it now even in 2022 absolutely yeah that's going to be um when we finally get to travel uh that will be what i'm packing in my suitcases so i'll be packing the individual components the individual breakdown of of all of these blends so that we can do those tastings uh in real life together as well um so anyone who's missed that and um, that's definitely what we'll, we'll be bringing to the table um and basically we'll keep doing that until we have enough rums that we can do a full tasting with actual rums you can buy but you know like, <laughs> I, I remember when i started with finest caribbean i was like uh so we're just gonna do this and last consignment and they're like well not always last consignment it's quite expensive i was like so you want me to do a rum tasting with just one rum it's like <laughs> no we need minimum five rums like how many components four components yeah that's yeah yeah. order those you know so um and yeah that that ended up being another interesting piece you know we were very lucky we we buy our components from ea shear you know they have each Mm -hmm. of these individual components and they won't always sell them individually you know we were very lucky that we had a relationship with them where they were like yeah you can have these individual building blocks if you like for the blend um so we bought and we had to buy like I think we bought like ten thousand liters of each, which even by my my measures is a lot of masterclasses. <laughs> <laughs> so even got a that's, lot of those to get on the calendar now, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, like come on, let's go. That's why I'm bottling all those minis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but even that ended up becoming, you know, 
another layer. I don't even know if I'm meant to talk about this yet, but I will. Um, another layer of what we're going to be bringing out with Black Tot. So we've taken those components, we've aged some of them in different types of casks and sherry casks and experimenting with all these different flavors. And those components themselves are going to become a new blend of Black Tot that will ah, be released nice. when it's ready. If if they're happy with it, you know, there's a there's a lot of these things and you'll hear blenders talk about it a lot where it's like, if it's not ready, if it's not right, they won't release it, but mm-hmm. it can always be used in some way. It can always evolve in something or, or be used somewhere down the line. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. so, you know, so I've, I've been very lucky. Ollie's let me take my portion so I can do all my master classes with you guys and we can talk about blend breakdowns and be super geeky and nerdy. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's got the rest all aging in these casks, and hopefully, at some point, you'll see that pop into uh, other black top releases in the future. That was—I was actually just about to wrap us up by asking about. I've, I've heard you mention, you know, you have your own aging warehouses, and I, I kind of wanted to know if we were to walk through those, what would we find, and you know, what do you have in store for the future? So you just—you mentioned some of it there just now, but is there—is there anything else we should know about that might might, might be coming down the pike at some point? Uh, I guess the next main thing that that will be unleashed onto the world will be the the new Master Blenders Reserves to the 2022 edition. Yes. yes. Now, if you've if you've been following from 50th anniversary and Master Blenders and the back labels on those, you see the blend breakdown. You see what's going on in there. It's it's which is know, super cool. Yeah. We're trying to give as much information as possible on there. And then I, I had another call from Ollie. Me and Ollie have these great videos. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm working on the new Master Blenders Reserve. I was like, amazing. You know, what's in it? And he was like, yeah, I'm up to about 27 different components at the moment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So I, but before we did the interview, I was I literally John and I have a little like notes document that we do for interviews, and I was just like listing the different components that were in each of the releases. And by the time I got to Master Blenders Reserve twenty twenty one, I was like, damn, like I'm listing a lot of stuff here. There's a lot, but twenty seven is like more than double the amount of components yeah. that were in that one, right? Well, well, this is so so yeah. The two releases so far, I, th- I think, were not nine components each on there, and you'll see those on the labels. And when he said it, I was like, "What? What do you mean you're up to twenty? How, how are you? Up to <laughs> how are you going to put that on the label?" <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I was like, "What, what are you going? Don't fuck with my label, right?" And right. like, <laughs> and this like, is going to well, be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, essentially what I'm doing is I'm creating, uh, I've got all these different casks and I'm creating like super blends of each region and each style. Blend. Oh. I can then be like, okay, this is my ultimate Jamaica blend. This right. Is my right. Blend. It's a meta blend almost, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a blend blends within Stop a blend. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like inception blending. Inception now, blend. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're doing we're about, doing all the marketing blend, work right here blend right within a blend <laughs> so he's like yeah i'm making these super blends of all these different regions and i'm gonna put these together and you know and we're gonna make the master blenders reserve from from these these blends that i'm putting together i was like well how how are you gonna put that on the label he's like i <laughs> 
I don't know. And I was like, okay. It's like, that's your problem. That's someone else's job. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so we've been talking about, it. so it, it looks, looks like, and I think, I think you guys are the first people to officially hear it. So purely out of necessity, what, what it looks like we're going to have to do is we'll probably put like an overview of what the blend components are from the super blends, but Got then it. there'll be a, there'll be like a QR code or something on it. Uh give you a full you'll scan that and then that will take you to the super nerd breakdown of every single component so you'll still get a full breakdown yeah. but physically like there's people that complain to me now that they can't read all the, <laughs> the components on the back label i think they yeah you'd need like a microscope to be able to yeah. see if we did it all so so yeah so that's kind of what we're looking like um that said, you know, it's February now. Anything could change in the next five months. We could do something completely different. But mm-hmm. but that's our, our current sort of idea. And it's, you know, it's, again, it always comes down to this idea of like, okay, we want to be as, we want to be the most transparent rum blend in the world. That's our ethos. That's our goal. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we be as upfront as possible? Also, how can you physically do it, you know, is the other constraint. So, so yeah, so that... Currently, that's our workaround, and and yeah, hopefully there'll be some uh, cool information still for everyone on this. So, well, and hopefully during the the bottling and final blending, no one accidentally puts too many casks of the Jamaica Super Blend into uh, into this one, right? <laughs> I'm pi- I'm pitching to Ollie, right? This is my next Ollie phone call conversation of exasperation. <laughs> I'm like, Ollie, it'd be really cool if you release those individual super blends on their own. He's <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It's like, no one wants to buy those. I'm like, I yes, guarantee do. you, I guarantee you people want to buy. He's like, so the Jamaican blend he's doing, he's like, honestly, that would be like three, 400 pounds a bottle of the rums he's putting into it. Cause it's just insane. And I was like, people would be even more intrigued. They just <laughs> exactly. want to know what, what <laughs> possibly be that good that you're blending together in that so so yeah I'll, don't worry I'll, I'll keep pushing ollie for everyone and we'll see if we can get uh, i'll say if if you're if you're listening if you're listening to this and you want to taste those individual super blends just we'll we'll link to, to mitch's social media and just go and say i want the super blends and yeah mitch, you can take that and you can present it to, to ollie and everyone else and say look i've already got our first customers yeah absolutely yeah i mean that's that's it right like i i just think it's so interesting right because and and i see his point to a certain extent 10 years ago this wouldn't exist yeah right right right. 10 years ago there wouldn't be you guys doing the rum cast there wouldn't be all of this information these this knowledge we have in the in the general rum consumers with like the levels and congeners and everything that's going on with these individual distilleries and stuff like it's amazing how much the rum world has transformed in the last five years but it's it's still a very small group of us you know yeah, it's right just, right you could, you could fit us all in you know you could fit us all in trailer happiness let's face it like, <laughs> i was gonna say a navy ship yeah maybe a submarine <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> You know, this for me is what's so exciting. And, and I love that you guys are doing this podcast and, and bringing all these people together because it's, you know, this for me is the, this is the start of the wave, you know, like yeah. there's a few of us who've been doing it for a few years and a few of us who've been doing it for a lot longer. And, but there's so many more of us that are just starting and this might be, you know, yeah, yeah. this might be their first introduction into rum is through, through things like, like Rumcast and, 
I'm just so excited to see where it goes in the next few years. And, and I hope we do our part as blenders to sort of push, push transparency forward and push blending forward and, and open up that area of rum. And I know there are going to be so many other producers who are doing the same and who already are doing the same, you know, and, uh, and I, I hope collectively together, we just all, you know, it's that, that high tide raises all ships, you know, and right, I think yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we are, we're, we're creating that movement. And for years people said, rum will be the next big thing. And it's like, it's finally starting to feel like it might be true, you know? Yeah. yeah. Slowly but yeah. surely. But to break the metaphor a little bit, I think it's it's the right reasons. We're creating that high tide for the right reasons, right? And that is a lasting effect and not just something that's going to come quick and go. So uh, agree to your point and think you're doing uh, you're doing good work over there and helping the cause for sure. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's all of us together. I think there's so many. One thing that Ram is not short on is passion. Yeah, you know, there's so mm-hmm. many people in rum that are so passionate about it, and and you see it, you see it in the way we debate about things, we see it in the way we we talk about things we love, you see it in the bars, the rum bars. You know, yeah. it's like there is a magic to rum that does not exist in any other spirit. Yeah, and I can't wait to see what into that. And I would say, speaking of on the note of passion, listeners should know that I think it's. <laughs> approaching one in the morning where, where you are right now in, in Amsterdam. So um, that's passion right there. Yeah. I'm just getting warmed up. I mean, <laughs> you've already, you already did the 24 hour thing. So this is probably, this is, this is, this <laughs> this is, is light work yeah. for you. <laughs> so, that's, so that's the intro fellas. Let's right. right. go. <laughs> well, in a sense, that is the intro. I know, uh, as you mentioned before the show, you were, you were quite intrigued by the concept of the rapid fire round that we have on our show. And it seemed oh, yeah. that you were looking forward to it. I think some people come on the show and they're a little nervous about it. You didn't see your cracking your knuckles over there you're ready to go so normally this is the point in the show where i ask like if they if, if you want to do it and i feel like i don't really need to ask in this case it seems like you're 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 ready to go over there i'm in i'm in let me let me pour some more rum i'm in let's go <laughs> this is an essential ingredient of the rapid fire segment um yes so I, I, I think you know the drill, but basically how it works is I put 60 seconds on the clock and then John runs through as many questions as he can get through as possible. John, am I leaving anything out? Nope, that's it. We are ready to go. All right, I've got 60 seconds and go. All right, Mitch, neat or on the rocks? Or oh, neat. All right, your biggest softball here, column, pot, or blend? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should say blend, shouldn't I? It's blend I or think pop. you should. Blend it <laughs> okay. Uh, For age rum, do you prefer under five years of age, five to 15 years, or 15 years and older? Oh, my God. Uh, it depends where it's aged. Ooh, uh, good, good answer. Good answer yeah. there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Molasses or cane juice? Ooh. <laughs> can I have both? Just this once. Blend them yeah. together. My perfect daiquiri, always with a splash of agricole in there. So it's yeah, for me, always, always a little two together. There you go. All right, army or navy? Navy. <laughs> I figured there. Your favorite cast finish for a rum? Oh, sherry. Name one rum producing country that's never been in a black tot blend so far that you'd love to see in one someday. <laughs> Martinique. Okay, that makes sense. As a former Ninja Turtle karate instructor, your personal favorite Ninja Turtle is? 
Raphael. Excellent choice. <laughs> I like it. Are you indeed related to the famous actor brothers Owen and Luke Wilson, or is that just a rumor? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got the looks for it. I think you don't have to see it. No comment. <laughs> uh, the best drink to order at Trailer Happiness. Daiquiri. All right. Have you begun planning the event for the 100th anniversary of Black Tot Day yet, Mitch? Oh, yeah. Good question. I, I haven't, but I should. How old will I be? You got to get on it. And that's time. Like 83, 84. God, that will be a fun tasting, won't it? <laughs> we expect you to be there. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's it's realistic, you know, with the way uh, life expectancy is these days, that you'll still be around for that. So start planning now. The rum's, the rum's working well. All right. So anyone listening to this 100th anniversary of Blacktop, we're all getting together. Yes. We're going to crack some very special rums for that. That's right. <laughs> Ollie will have some great stuff by then, right? Ollie, I, I can only imagine... <laughs> Ollie's exasperation when he calls me tomorrow being like, you're planning what now? <laughs> well, you know what it means is you have to let him put some rum down now so it's 50 years old for the 100th exactly. anniversary. There it is. So there you go. That's the phone <laughs> call. <You'd> be delighted. <laughs> All well, right. uh, th- thanks so much, Mitch. This was, this was great. Um, I you know learned a lot. I didn't know already about Navy Rum, about what y'all are up to at Black Todd. It sounds like there's a lot of really cool stuff for rum lovers all around the world to look forward to. So uh, appreciate you taking the time. Any Anything else we didn't get to that you want people to know about? No, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, it's, uh, you know, it's been so, as I say, it's been so nice to see people getting excited and and bringing the world of rum together in various ways. And so many people have been talking about Rumcast and what you guys are doing. And um, honestly, when you messaged me and and asked me to be on the episode, I was like, really? Me? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, 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 Um, don't tell us that. Don't tell us that, Mitch. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's 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 brilliant. You guys are doing an amazing thing, and I'm I'm so glad that that it exists and and that the rum world has this now because we need more things like this to bring more people into the category. So thank you, awesome, thank well, you. Yeah, no, thank you for for coming and being a part of it. And um, like I said, we'll put show, uh, links in the show notes. We'll link to some of Matt's great work that we mentioned on Navy Rum. We'll link to Black Tot. You know, when when you were talking about using kind of the QR code or something for people to get more information, I, like the the Blacktop website in terms of oh, information yeah. is like fantastic. fantastic. So if you yeah. if you want to learn more about what's in the blends and everything, like just go to the website. It's like all the details are there. It's really cool. But thanks so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, at some point we will we will all see each other in person soon. I look forward to it. Oh, we should probably finish on a toast there. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. By the way, I finished all of my Santa Teresa, um, ah. Appleton 15, Hamilton 151, <laughs> Hampton Great House blend. And I have to say, like, it was pretty fucking good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if I were to do the blend over, so if anyone wants to recreate this at home, I did one ounce of Santa Teresa, a uh, half an ounce of Appleton 15 and then a quarter ounce each of the last two rums, which are the, you know, the, the most pungent of the, of them. I think I would dial back the Santa Teresa maybe to three quarters ounce and keep everything the same and see how it goes then. But really good. Blends are fun. Do your own blend at home. It's, it's, it's a fun little thing to do. If you, if you can't buy some black top yet, make your own blend at home. 
it's such a fun way of learning about flavor and, and experimenting, you know, it's, it's yeah. I think everyone should have a little infinity blend at home and just, just experiment with it to see what, see what comes out, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it, it does teach you a lot about how flavors, flavors comes together for sure. Yeah. So. Well, but, let's um, do our toast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're, if you're listening alone, uh, along at home, please pour yourself a little rum if you haven't already. And, um, well, uh, gents, I'll get you to repeat after me. So, there are tool ships. There are tool ships. There are tool ships. And there are small ships. And, and there, there are, are small, small ships. ships. And there are ships that sail the sea. And there are, and there ships, are ships that, that sail, sail the, the sea. sea. But the best ships. But the best, best ships. Are friendships. Are friendships. So here's to you and me. So here's, so here's to, you to you and, you and me. And me. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, fellas. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Rumcast. If you want to learn more about Black Tot, we have some links in the show notes to their website. Like I was saying during the interview, uh, very lovely website, lots of information. So if you want to like, really dig into the details of the various blends that they have out, their website thankfully does that. And I'm also going to sprinkle in some links to some of Matt Petrick's work on Navy Rum that we referenced multiple times. So if mm-hmm. you want to get a little deeper into that history, be sure to check those out. But um, other than that, John, where, where can people get in touch with us? Because we do, we love to hear from listeners. We love uh, feedback. We love suggestions. We love ideas. We love complaints. We love we love it all. So where, how can people get in touch with us, John? I, I, I don't know. We love complaints, but I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll certainly see them. Uh, but but yeah, while, while you're uh, surfing onto the Black Tot website, may as well surfing. also... Wow, that's, yeah. that's an internet web term I've not heard since like 1997. <laughs> Surf well, the web. You know, I have to live up to my uh, my <laughs> whatever it is that you called me before. We'll put it in a nice way and say you're the elder statesman of the Rumcast. I would agree with that. Thank, <laughs> you. Thank you very much. And as the elder statesman, I am commanding everyone to please go to the website, the World Wide Web, and find the Rumcast.com. You can uh, get uh, a lot of our episodes there, all of our episodes there. Uh, and you can also find us, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any other podcast app. And, you know, while you're there, leave us that feedback. Let us know what you think about the program. Like Will was saying, we do see it all we do try to respond to it certainly appreciate seeing all the messages that come in that give us a little bit of the inspiration on what to do next who to talk to next some of the the conversations that we should be having or or that need to be had in rum um, those are the things we look for and we love to hear back from so uh leave us a review let, leave us a comment let us know what's going on we we love that and uh thank you so much for listening to this podcast we we super appreciate it um when we started this we did it for us but I think we do it for everybody now and uh, hope that you enjoy it as much as we do. Well said. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Mm